All right, welcome back to the Broad Show with Liam Hare. It's been quite a while since we have done an episode here on this podcast. I'm so sorry. I feel like I've abandoned the show for what seems like almost a year now. But we've come back with a great guest all the way from Scotland. The last time we had a Scottish guest on was in Season 1, Episode 4, with Peter John Fortes from Jethro Tull. But we have indie folk musician Natsi Dredd. Would you like to say a Scottish hello to everyone here listening? Hello, everybody. I hope you're listening. I hope your ears are tuned in and I hope you're having a smashing... What day is it today? Tuesday? It's Tuesday. I hope you're having a smashing Tuesday. (laughs) It's a Tuesday evening. I've come home from work, so definitely yes. Good, good, good. I'm glad. Uh, It's it's Tuesday afternoon here. It's 12.31 in the afternoon times. So yes, it's going to be a good one. But yes, everybody listening. Hello, hello. I hope you're having a smashing day. Cool. First off, I've always wanted to wonder what is your what is your earliest memories of playing a guitar? Take us back to wee little Natty Dread back in the day. Tiny, tiny Natty Dread. Okay, so the first guitar I ever got given was a ah oh, I can't remember. It was it was a vintage guitar. It was from my uncle, um, my uncle Tam, and he'd come down with his big, amazing, beautiful acoustic guitar and he was playing it and I was just obsessed. And he showed me the first kind of basic chords and he showed me how to like read tablature and stuff like that. And I was so fascinated by it and I picked it up so quickly that the next weekend he came down with a guitar just for me. Um, And that was it. And I think I remember playing, I think I was playing like Green Day songs. Like I was just playing basic power chords. And that is my earliest memory, just sitting in my room after school, making sure nobody was in the room and just sitting and playing and just enjoying the feeling of having a guitar and being able to to play it and have pretty sounds come out because I kind of sort of knew what I was doing or I thought I did. But that's my earliest memory, just sitting in my room with a guitar. I think it sounds like me right now because I had my drum kit here with me, which has been here probably since this year. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I like to uh, make sure my parents uh, have earplugs or whatever on because I can get quite loud. So, <laughs> oh yeah, drum. There's a difference between like just kind of casually playing the guitar, like an unplugged acoustic guitar, and then just casually playing the drums. <laughs> a difference in noise. <laughs> Still the so, same sentiment though. Yeah, thank goodness for e drums. Otherwise. Uh... I reckon my parents would probably <laughs> kick me out of the house by now. No, the record that I caused down here. They're like, Liam, it's four in the morning. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, who uh, who influenced your style? Who reckon uh, who, what musicians did you look up to growing up? Okay, so when I was younger, I was brought up with soul music that was kind of what was in my household at all times so my dad I mean if we're going by people who influenced my love of music it was my dad um my dad let me listen to you know Wilson Pickett and he let me watch The Commitments which I probably shouldn't have watched at that young an age um you know Elvis Stevie Wonder Michael Jackson U2 Guns N' Roses he just let me hear all these amazing artists and it was the first time I think I can't remember how old I was but I remember he um he was doing some work in the garden and he just put on, he put on this song by U2. It was still haven't found what I'm looking for, but it was with a gospel choir. It was live and he put it on and then he disappeared into the garden 
And he came back in and I was quite young and I was in floods of tears. So he comes in and sees his young daughter crying and he's like, oh God, what's happened? And I was like, it's the music. And it was the first time I ever had an emotional response to music. But the people who inspired me are soul musicians. Um, I really, really love Newton Faulkner. Uh, he was the reason that I properly picked up a guitar and started writing songs. Um, I love Pink. I love Lady Gaga. I love Etta James. I love such a huge variety of music and I'm so inspired by everything I listen to that it's impossible to sit and pinpoint them all but I think that's because I had music injected into me at such a young age that the list is endless. Fair enough I would imagine uh, Stuart Anderson probably is in there somewhere knowing homegrown obviously that's just me always like to uh, sort of ask Scotland <laughs> people if they've heard of Big Country or not. Last time wasn't successful but I'm glad that it's successful this time because <laughs> It just it's always in there. It's just always in there. Oh yeah. Mm. So uh what gets you in the headspace for when when you write music? What gets you in the mood? What has to be there? Okay, so it depends. I'm trying to really put myself in it right now. Because sometimes and I suppose any creative person can relate to this. Sometimes the creation, whatever it may be, whether it's a painting or a song or a dance or you know, a play, sometimes it just falls out your face and you can't stop it. And you're like, oh God, let's write this down. And, and you can write a song in like 20 minutes. And other times you've got to really sit and think about a theme and unpack it. Um, and other times you write half of a song and then you have to go back and figure out what, what it's about. But for me, I like a quiet room uh, preferably by myself and uh, a dimly lit room always helps me I'm a big lover of candles I'm an absolute slag for a candle so candlelit quiet room and just me and my thoughts and whilst that might be a dark thought for some people just sitting in a dark room with nothing but your thoughts it's a really good way to write for me because I know that anything I'm gonna, I'm gonna write is gonna be honest and raw and open for interpretation but yeah, just the basics, dark room, candle, maybe a cup of tea, maybe a blanket. You know, I'm a simple gal with simple tastes. <laughs> but um, headspace-wise, that's a tricky one because I, I, I could be at a supermarket and it's happened before. I could be at a supermarket and a melody or a lyrical comment in my head and like, oh God, and I have to go to my notes app and just quickly write it down. Or it could be when I'm going to sleep. And other times I have to really sit and rack my brain. So um, the mind, the the headspace can kind of come at any time. Mm. Fair enough. I guess uh, we'll have our own well, some, ways. Well, some of it, some of it can take like time as well. So, for example, um, I wrote a song called Jacob, which was about my nephew. And at the time, I wrote it for his birthday. And he just turned one. And I was like, I'm going to write a song for his birthday. And then I started writing it and realized he's one. He hasn't really done anything. Like all he does is is sleep and poop and cry. There's not really much to go on. So I had to wait, I think about a year and a half before I wrote the rest of that song. So some of it is just takes time as well. Fair enough. So uh, when did he end up getting that song? Was he still one or was he a bit older? He was two by the time I finished writing it. Um, but I wanted to, it became like a lullaby that was a three-part story of his life so far. 
but yeah, I was just I was writing the song and it was like, you know, little shoes, little socks and baby blues and all this stuff that happens when a newborn is born. <laughs> and it was like, oh, cutesy, cutesy, cutesy. And then it started to delve into the story of my sister and the struggles of being a single parent and, you know, how this little baby brought us all together. So I'm glad I took time to write that song. But yeah, sometimes a song can be written in 20 minutes and sometimes it can be a year and a half. <laughs> Fair enough. One of the things that always struck me about your personality, and I knew exactly I was going to get this uh, answered, was your fascination with Highland cows. What what is it about these 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 mythical creatures of Scotland's wildlife that you are so obsessed with? It just became your icon. Oh, you mean these things that yes. cow above my head? Right there? Uh, the Highland coos. The Highland coos. Well. I, I've, I've sort of figured out that I really like farm animals because like my top three animals that I love to death are like cows, ducks and pigs in no particular order. I just, I just love them. So I love farm animals. But like, look at them. Like, just, just look at one. They are big ginger dogs and everybody loves dogs. And when you meet them, they are just big, lovely, docile creatures. Dangerous, you know, they're big, heavy things with sharp horns that could impale you. Um, but they're just big, soft, fluffy dogs that just want to eat and and be brushed. And I just, oh, I just love them. And I love like their shaggy hair, and it looks kind of, I don't know, it looks kind of rock and roll. And you can't really see their. And I relate to it, right? Because you know, most of the time, you can't really see a lot of my face. <laughs> so maybe I just found a creature that I could relate to, and I said, you know what? That's for me. That that's for me. And. I, I wish I could show you. I wish I had it set up for you. But like right in front of me are all the cows. And then there are two ornaments of cows. And then there's a cow over there. There's a cow clock there. And then there's a portrait back there. There's cow cushions. They're everywhere, Liam. They're everywhere. <laughs> I think the closest thing to me for the Highland Coo is the buffalo uh -huh. from the Buffalo Skinners album cover, which also was oh. on my job. I'm this loving one. the set design. I am loving the set dressing you have done today. I feel so welcome. This is also <laughs> to a jersey from 93. Yeah, the only yes, and you're, is... wearing... yeah. and you're wearing pajama, pajama trousers. Are those pajama trousers? Tom pants. Amazing. I'm wearing a blanket as well because it's cold today. So we're both comfy. I like that. Well, maybe, maybe it's because I have Scottish Scot Scot heritage within my blood. Which, yeah, leads just this, which leads me to uh, this little interesting thing that I found out was it this week. My parents told me that they finally found out the roots of the hair family, which is obviously my family. We are from the Argyle Brute council clan, if you will. We were all shepherds mm -hmm. when we moved to Australia, at least my very great, great family when we mm -hmm. moved. So that was like well, that's certainly interesting. I'll have to tell someone from Scotland for that. And you happen to be that person, sir. You know, the sturdy how, did it, how did it make you feel? Like, were you excited or were you like, oh, yeah, that makes sense? Oh, fucking hell, I was excited. I've always wanted to know <laughs> what part of Scotland I'm from because I've always known for a long time. I'm from Scotland, but I never knew where I was from. At first thought, it was Ayrshire, Ayrshire. That's what I told Peter John Patez last season. And then... My dad told me about that. I'm like, oh yeah, that probably makes more sense because I've never heard about it from a family, so yeah. 
the more you know. Every day is a school day, Liam. Every day. Yes. <laughs> Another one of my interesting things that I've always wanted to know, especially when I do get over to Scotland, what are the best places to hike or what are the best places of natural Scotland that you would recommend to a tourist? Oh, gosh, how much time have you got? Everywhere. Um, so if you are, if you've never, so there's these things in Scotland called Munros. Um, there's 282 of them. Um, and, you know, some people try to do it in their lifetime. Uh, they're just big, giant mountains. A lot of them start with Ben, Ben Lomond, Ben Ayn, Ben Lawyers, Ben Nevis. Like, they, um, big, huge, giant, just big, beautiful mountains that you climb up and there's a summit on each one. And it's not a tradition, but I, it's my tradition that every time you go up there, you take a hip flask with whiskey in it and you toast to your family and you have a nip when you get to the top. Uh, that's something I personally always do uh, to the family members who are alive and the ones who are no longer with us. I always toast and cheers to them. Um, but yeah, if you don't want to start there because it can be quite daunting to just go ahead and do them in row. There is a lovely place in Balmaha called Conic Hill. Um, that's beautiful. And it is the best view of Loch Lomond when you get to the top of there. And sometimes there's Highland cows there just hanging out because, you know, it's their habitat, uh, nice. depending on the time of year you go. And then another one is Arthur's Seat, which is in Edinburgh, and that's quite famous. Arthur's Seat is marginally easier than Conic Hill because Conic Hill, the beginning of Conic Hill is about 180 steep stairs. So <laughs> if you don't like stairs, maybe do Arthur's Seat first. So I would say Arthur's Seat, Conic Hill, and then maybe then start doing Monroe's. But oh, the, the, the places are endless. I mean, you only have to go to Glencoe, right? It was my favourite place in Scotland. You only have to go to Glencoe, not even climb a hill, just walk up a little, a little steepish hill, not a mountain, and you are just greeted with these almost like hauntingly beautiful views. So yeah, I would say Arthur Seat, Conic Hill, and then just walk around Glencoe. Just, just, just go. It's you have to. I'm, I'm, I'm putting you to it now. You have to, and I want photographic evidence. All right, I won't let you down. What if we told you we pinched the name Arthur's Seat here in Australia? You pinched it? Why? <laughs> we have a mountain across from where the bay here in Port Villa Bay called Arthur's Seat on the Mornington Peninsula, mm -hmm. which has a massive garden maze and a tube slides. So you get on tubes and you slide down. How did I know? No, I'm such an uncultured swine sometimes. Okay, so that's that's the deal then. You do Arthur's seat here, and I'll do Arthur's seat over there when I, if I ever come over. And that is the promise that we have just made right now, because I just said it. Excellent. Well, you'll certainly love the musical <laughs> life here in Australia. We've got vibrant music life. Which leads me to my next question. What is the music scene like for your genre of music back in Scotland? Is it vibrant? Is it diverse? Tell me all you know. <laughs> well, it, it depends on where you go. I mean, Scotland's music scene is jumping and wild and the crowds are always insane. Um, but, you know, I don't... So I sing Scottish folk music, but when it comes to writing music, it's not very folksy at all the way I write. Um, it's more modern with like a soul twist and there's little Celtic folksy elements in there. So it's a mixture of everything. But 
it really depends like where you go. So if you go to a pub somewhere in Edinburgh, Glasgow, and you play modern stuff, the crowd's going to be jumping. If you play folk stuff, the crowd's going to be jumping. But then if you go to like um, like the Isle of Tyree for like the Tyree Music Festival, you can sing nothing but Gaelic songs and they will be loving it. Uh, and I know that because I did my first ever Tyree Music Festival this year and I got there and everybody was already slightly drunk and I did a Gaelic song and they were singing it back to me. So very accepting, very enthusiastic and just very excited. That's just that's just Scotland. Mm, that's a very interesting. Something I did not plan on mentioning, but when my mom mentioned it, when I watched the original version of Marla Kintyre from The Wings and Paul McCartney, she mentioned that you did a cover of it that she really loved. Gosh, I did that. I do you know? I remember the day I did that video. Um, so we'd come out of lockdown, and I was still in my nine to five job at the time, and it was my first day back at work, and I'd come home, and I was like, oh, I just fancy doing like a nice, like pretty song, and that was the day I did Mall of Kintyre. But tell your mom thank you. I'm really glad she likes it because I love that song. It's also the reason why I do know you in the first place. Is that how you found me? It was my mum. She sent me a clip of... What's what's your mum's name? Uh, Paula. Paula here. Paula, thank you so much. You're a legend. Thank you, Paula. Everybody, everybody, love for Paula. We love Paula. Oh, she will indeed love that. I think there's just something (laughs) that I found out about, obviously, the Scottish accent is one of my favourite accents in the world, so I instantly gravitated towards your music. So, no surprise. Thank you. Yes, I have a very, my accent is very there when I sing. Um, and that's that's a choice that I make. Mm. I guess one of my own favorite covers that you've done is you've done two Proclaimers song I songs. I think you have done. You've done Sunshine Lead, and I think you've also done Letter from America as well. Correct I haven't wrong. actually. I've only done. No, I haven't. Um, I've done Sunshine on Leith, um, which was oh, it's one of my favourite covers I've done to date, to be honest with you. Um, but no, I haven't. But now that you've said it, I'm going to have to do it and I'll dedicate it to you and Paula. So <laughs> I'll have to do that one now. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Yeah, I absolutely love that song. I've got the 10-inch single over Just the Room down yonder. Which usually mm-hmm. back in my old setup in my old house, I would have behind me all my records, all 300 records that I've collected since 2015, 16. Yeah. This is what have you got? Like, so you've got your record player somewhere in the vicinity, I assume, right? Let's play a game. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. What's in your record player right now? Last time I checked, I had, I think it was Mama by XTC, a Japanese pressing. Ah, I'm really, I'm peculiar taste. Mine is no. There's no such thing as peculiar taste when it comes to music, man. Like everybody's, everybody's music taste should be like varied, because that's just music is for it's for everyone. So mine is Blood Money by Tom Waits. That's what's in there right now. One of my favorite Tom Waits albums. I love Tom Waits. I do have something though, a bit controlled that I picked up. I'll be right back. If you don't mind me waiting. I will, I will talk to the audience and distract them. Hello, everybody. Um, are you drinking your water today? 
are you experiencing weather? Is it nice weather? We have weather here. It's uh, gloomy and windy and grey and cold. Anyway, so yeah, then the vicar said never on a Thursday. <laughs> so I was just telling a joke to the audience. Oh, fair enough. When was the last time you saw a cassette? Last time I saw a cassette? Oh, um, I have... I have my my granddad's old uh, cassette tape player in my house because um, that was one of the things I got when he passed away. Um, and I moved in December, which is when I was unboxing everything and I looked at it. Uh, so I think December. And it was uh, UB40 that was in it. Ooh. <laughs> Limited edition King of Immersion box cassette from Big Country. Picked it up last week. How the how where what kind of sorcery? <laughs> Let's just say I have joined the Big Country fan community on Facebook, and they welcomed me with open arms, and they'll give me anything that I want. You're some kind of magician, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm just a twenty-year-old with a decent with music taste that not many people my age have. And they're just like, yeah, we love that. We love that you're continuing on the big country spirit. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's a lot of people say that to me because I sing a lot of songs by the Corries, and they're like, I'm glad that you like the Corries. I'm like, who doesn't like the Corries? I think a lot of Scottish people grew up listening to them, even if they didn't realize it. Yeah, the Corries are great. Mm. So yeah, that one's like my calling card, if you will, because I don't think I have anything else on this edition. Bar maybe no, I don't think this is probably this part of my rarest big country thing. If not counting the VHS stuff, which I also I'm got in the same lot. Anyway. I'm trying to think of mine. I think mine's would be like one of the original pressings of Thriller by Michael Jackson. And the original but this is just me because it's my favorite musical. Uh it's the original Jesus Christ Superstar Ooh. on vinyl. I just that that's pretty much all I've got. I mean, I don't have big country cassette tapes, but that's <laughs> it's not that cool. <laughs> well, fair enough. I mean, I mean, I could see you doing chants from big country. That's a really nice one to do on acoustic. I know lots oh, yeah. of. Uh, if you've seen cousin Addison's page, I know she does a lot of acoustic tunes of her late father, may rest in peace. Um, of all of his music, and it sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. So. And we're hydrating now. I'll hydrate. <laughs> yes. Yes, we'll hydrate indeed. My rarest record is an original mono press. I think it's the stereo pressing of the White Album by the Beatles. Oh, yeah. Do you have it, like, in a glass box where no one can touch it? It's just on a record shelf amongst all my other <laughs> Beatles stuff. Nice. Yeah. I like it. So I'm not another... jealous at all. I'm not jealous. I'm yeah. just gonna I'm just gonna squeeze this stress ball. I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> I do have another copy, original, all intact copy of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. You're more than open to it if you wish. I'm fine. I'm not jealous. I'm <laughs> fine. <laughs> oh I'm I'm sure I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure you'll find. This poor little Donald Duck's going to get squeezed within an inch, an inch of his life. <laughs> oh, I have a couple of friends just like here and there can do the most spot on Donald Duck impression. I wish I could do one right now, just react, just seeing how the Donald Duck squish thing would react 
told a squeeze and oh, like, what the fuck? I wish, I wish I could. I really wish I could. I mean, he's everywhere. Look, he's behind me as well. There's a <laughs> tiny little Donald. <laughs> I told you, I like ducks. <laughs> ducks. I guess that makes sense. He's probably your favorite Disney character then. Duck, He's my obviously. favorite classic Disney character. My favorite Disney Disney character is Baloo the Bear Ooh, from the Jungle nice. Book. Nice, 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 nice. All right, back onto the questions because we went a bit oh, off sorry, topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're just getting sidetracked by records and Disney characters. Sorry, right, back to professional mode. But that's what podcasts are all about. doesn't have to be about questions. This is what the exciting bit of recording is, seeing what yeah. tangents lie on. Uh, the importance of a social media presence, because I study a Bachelor of Screen Media and I've covered in one of my recent units about having an online presence is important, you know, now these days with social media, important as ever. Yeah. What is it to you that makes it important? It's a good way to engage with people. I think that if you're, you know, a big giant celebrity, maybe you feel like you don't have a connection with your audience or your fan base, whatever it may be. And I feel like it's a good way to engage with your audience and find out what they like and what they want. Um, it's also not to be taken seriously, in my opinion. Like that might be a controversial opinion, but like I'm I'm <laughs> I'm under no illusion that I'm some big famous celebrity. Like I don't think I'm, you know, Christina Aguilera or Lady Gaga or Cher or something like that. So I any opportunity I can. I will take the piss. I will not take it seriously. I take what I do seriously. I take the music seriously. But when it comes to social media, I feel like a lot of people they they kind of they kind of jump the shark and they think they're I I don't know. There's just this kind of false like falseness when it comes to social media, and I'm not about it. I don't like it. I don't subscribe to it. So I'm just 100% myself, and I will try and have fun with it because. Like what you're doing is just say you're just say you're using it to to tell your audience, like the nice people who follow you. You're trying to tell them I'm going to be playing this show on this day. You're never going to catch me sitting there just going, "Hello, I have a show. It's going to be spectacular, and I'm I'm going to be doing these songs. Please check it out." No, I wouldn't do that because it's not who I am. So yeah, every opportunity I can, I try not to take myself and social media too seriously because it's there for fun it's there to engage that's that's a very that's a really valid opinion and i don't think anyone i've seen at all have an opinion like that so kudos well yeah like everybody's always talking about their instagram feeds like being pretty and precise and professional looking yes whilst that you know, if you're looking to be picked up by somebody or if you're looking to be noticed by somebody, yeah, that is brilliant. But in terms of, like, just social media in general, just stop taking yourself so serious. You know what I mean? Like, have fun. Otherwise, it's going to become a job to you, you know? It's going to become a chore. It's going to become boring. And that's that's not what I'm about. I'm about having fun. Aye. I'm Aye. doing something that I've always wanted to do, so I'm going to have fun with it. I agree. I mean, definitely my channel, my vinyl page, my everything that I do, even my radio show that I do on 94.7 The Pulse, check it out, uh, is fun. I don't take myself seriously. I goof about. I, I have fun. So yeah, yeah, I think I take myself seriously when I'm supposed to, you know? Yeah. Like, I there's a, there's a time and a place for it. But, you know, if you're just putting a story on Instagram, just 
just have fun. That's what it's about. You're doing you're doing something you've always dreamed you'd do. You're getting to you're getting to live your dream. Why wouldn't you stop and have fun? Mm. Uh something that I uh, maybe just a bit off tangent, but a bit into more natural Scotland. Have you been to Dunringle? Or around that area of the Isle of Skye? Maybe. Maybe uh, no, no, it's not. I'm thinking of somewhere else. No, I have not been to Sky yet. Mm, my family. I want part, to of, part of my family. I'm actually related to Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. Surprise! I mentioned <laughs> it in the new book, "Lend Me Your Ears" by Richard Houghton. I found out that he owns a salmon farm on the Isle of Skye for a while during the '80s. He also visited Dunringill, which you got the inspiration for the song Dunringill from the Stormwatch album from Jethro Tull. Beautiful song on acoustic guitar as well. Stunning. Stunning. Mm. Maybe that's where I know it from. No, not, I don't, it's not really a well-known tune. It's not like an Aqualong or a locomotive breath. You really have to know the band to like be like, oh, yeah, that's where that's from. But no, I just think that place is really cool in general. And uh, there might be the off chance that you've been to the Isle of Skye before in your many life. That's your so far. Oh, all 738 years of my life. Um, but I would love to go to Sky. It's like a dream of mine. I've just never had the opportunity to go yet. Um, I did go to Tyree, though, and that was beautiful. I got burnt to a crisp, though. I got burnt to within an inch of my lip. I, you know how you get sunburn, right? And you get sunburn, like, on your nose and on your foreheads, maybe on your cheeks or whatever, and your shoulders? No. I got... My entire chest was red, but my entire face like these parts these parts were red so i love the aisles um but i need to and i was wearing sun cream so maybe the, the aisles just don't like me <laughs> <laughs> Isles against natty dread what is this blood come to <laughs> i was like it was it was the it was the height of summertime i understand that but i wore spf i was i was a good girl i wore spf and i was drinking water and i came back and i was like oh i'm a bit red maybe i'm just out of breath and i wash off my makeup and i go oh no that's just my face oh dear <laughs> oh so you probably watched Freckled. a lot of tv in your life obviously the usual the usual scotland stuff outlander what do you think of the scottish representation in the simpson groundskeeper willie do you like it or do you hate it um i don't mind him i like groundskeeper willie he's fun He's Scottish. He's very proud to be Scottish. The accent leaves a tiny bit to be desired. Um, but I think we like it because it's like, okay, that's a funny, not entirely accurate stereotype. But then when people from other places come and they think that's what we are, then I'm like, Willie, Willie, come on now, you're doing us a disservice here. But I don't mind him. He's a groundskeeper. He's just doing his job. You know, he's, he's a man. He loves his country and he's doing his job. I like it. Fair he's enough. in America. He's in he's in Springfield, right? He's got to he's got to put up with the likes of Homer and Chief Wiggum. Like I can understand why he'd be a bit pissed off. Like so, he's just he's just a Scottish man in America, doing his job, and he loves his country. Mm. That's it. <laughs> I actually have a groundskeeper Willie action figure in my cover deal. It's uh somewhere in there, but. It's next to. Uh, I used to be, 
Yeah, it's next to, uh, what is it, Old Man Gill, I've got Troy McClure, I've got Lenny, I've got Moe, Lionel Hutz, the guys from KBBL, and I always forget the name of the uh, ones who are in the military antique shop, but I also have a Homer somewhere, but I have no fucking clue where he went to, probably disappeared. I used to be terrified of Groundskeeper Willie, because there was one, like, so... You know how the Simpsons do like the Treehouse of Horror episodes, they're like the best ones, like the Halloween ones. Yes. Do you remember the one where groundskeeper Willie was like Freddy Krueger and he would kill kids in their dreams? Yes. The the bit where like he's on fire and he comes into the classroom and he says, <laughs> "I'll get them where you least expect it," and he says, "In their dreams." That terrified me for a long time, and I don't think I was that young when I saw that either. So yeah, I've got a very, you know, it's a very a very tumultuous relationship with Grinskeeper Willie. <laughs> oh, I should, I should get it out because it's really cool. I know it's not the best design from the shark. I believe, I swear to God, see if it's Grinskeeper Willie on fire, I'm leaving this call. <laughs> no, it's just your regular, just your regular Grinskeeper Willie. Here he is. Get these overalls on. Look at him. Look at him. Surprisingly, for a figure that's made in the early 2000s, they did a fantastic job on it. Does he have a skullet? Like, could you bring him closer so I can see his hair? Sir, Thank you. There you go. He does. He has a skullet, or what I like to call a baldy long hair, where he's yeah. bald on the top, and then he's got the hair coming out. It's a skullet. There you go. It's like a yeah. mullet, but with his skull show. <laughs> skullet. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about Grandscaper Willie. Then I bought our Grandscaper Willie, and then we just we're just talking about Grandscaper Willie because I bought it up. And now I'm traumatized again. I'm going to go to sleep tonight, and he's going to be there. <laughs> Hello, Nazi. It's been a long time. Now to kill you. <laughs> I'm here to kill you, lassie. No, you're no. I know how this works. Go away. <laughs> oh. Cool. Is there any artist whom you haven't covered yet that you would like to cover for your pages? I feel like I haven't done enough Billie Eilish. And I say that because I am quite experimental with the softer register of my voice. Um, I don't use it that often. Um, I used to sing in pubs and stuff and I would sing big loud high notes so that people would actually shut up and listen to me. So I haven't experimented <laughs> with the softer part of my voice. But I've been on a lot of trains recently and I find listening to her new album, the way it's produced, it's so like soft and the way her voice sounds. It's a very soothing album. And when I need to go to sleep on the train, I put that album on. I think it's called Happier Than Ever. And I would quite like to experiment with her covers, not so I can just be quiet and soft and, and her voice is beautiful, but to see if I can take it somewhere a bit bigger. Um, oh, but there's loads though. That was just the first one that popped into my head. Um, I get requests, you know, on the daily. So there's probably something that I see that I go, oh, that's a good idea, actually. Um, I don't know. Anything and everything, really. <laughs> Mentioning Billy, Billy Eilish's uh, softer vocal range almost sounds like you're getting Nanny Dread ASMR. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. Like, oh, I can't even begin to tell you how much that album helps me sleep, and not because it's boring. I love the songs, and I'll listen to them when I'm awake as well. But if I'm on a long train journey and I need to sleep, I'm like, okay, Billy, do your thing. 
and I just put my head down. <laughs> oh, she's yeah. like, she's like, no problem, Natalie. I got you. Mm. This, so I know from my train commute, I have to come all the way from the end of my line here, where I live, to have to go all the way out to Melbourne, where I study, and then it takes me like an hour. So I'm just sitting there, just wondering, how long is this going to take? Do I fall asleep in the train and risk not getting to my stop and getting a couple of minutes in because I have to wake up, you know, reasonably early? Yeah. So I'm like, I, I, tried the, yeah. I tried the musical thing. Like, that's another one. I'd love to do a bunch of stuff from musicals on my page more. I think that would be fun. But I tried to do the musical thing where I'm sleeping and I put a musical on, but then I get too invested in it because I know it and I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? And then I'm just awake. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. Have you ever considered adding mandolins or any other guitars of more than six strings to your work? Yes, uh, in the recording process, because I'm not confident enough to play a mandolin on stage yet. Um, but yeah, I think that would be something fun. Again, I like to, I like to give the way I write is is very modern, like I said, and it's got very soul type vocals. But I like adding the kind of folky Celtic twists, and I think instruments like that would be fabulous, or a fiddle, or some kind of woodwind instrument, or. Yeah, I try and do it right now with like interest in vocal like melodies and stuff, but I would absolutely love to do that. Could you imagine? Like one day I'm on stage and I just whip out a mandolin and they're like, What? I don't know if you can play that. And I'm like, neither did I. <laughs> Some guy from Australia told me to add it in. <laughs> I just like I just do one note. Like I just go and for my next track and I just go ding, 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 ding for the whole song. Just really pleased with myself. Just honestly uh, <laughs> but yes no the answer is is yes i would love to incorporate that like different sounds into and in, into into my writing yeah um because sometimes that can inspire you you could sit and play an instrument you're not used to playing and you just start going ding, 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 whatever yeah. and then it inspires the whole feel of a song it can be built around one instrument so absolutely yeah well, i guess again it comes back to big country they use mandolin a lot and Sierra album. No, wait, they used it across the whole entire discography. They used it because they were trying to oh, yeah. capture the Gaelic Scottish sound across multiple albums. It's, it's right more, through their albums, yeah. More actually, I think it's more common on the earlier albums to crossing the Seer and Still Down. They were mainly heavy there. I think once it got after Peace and Our Time, No Place I Home, they sort of went for more country based, which is where Buffalo Skinner comes in around the Nashville era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's another thing about me. I have a lot of a lot to know about music. And again, I'm on the spectrum. So hooray for autism spectrum. Yeah, and it's like, you know, just having this ability to recall lots of information at a time. Everyone's like, wow, you know so much. I'm like, thank you. I mean music's always been like that for me though like I always say like I eat music for breakfast you know you know the types of people like I'm sure you're like this as well if you're listening to a song right and you're listening to it for the first time and you hear a phrase or a note or just a little piece of the melody and you've got like good headphones on right and you listen to it and you have to go back you're like whoa 
let's go back and listen to that again. What was that? And then you're there and you're I'm that annoying person, like, you know, at a house garden. I'm like, wait, listen to this bit. Listen to this bit. The way it goes. I just I eat music for breakfast. Yes, fair I love enough. it. It's delicious. <laughs> I had that today. There was a song from Squeeze called Take Me I'm Yours from their debut LP, which had this this just this intricate synth bass. And whenever I popped it on there, the Alexa speakers like, wow, this seems freaking amazing. This is why I love this music. Just ah! I swear I do it all the time because you know how a lot of people say, like, oh, what's a song you wish you'd written? Right? And you know, what's a song that you've heard and you're like, F you, I wish I wrote that, you know? Like, screw you for writing such a good song. I wish I'd thought of that. From a very early age, mine has always been Hotel California. Always been that song. It's never changed, even though there's millions of beautiful songs that have been written. It'll never change because every time, like what you were saying, I put it on. doesn't matter how many times I've listened to it. As soon as I hear those minor notes, I know a story's about to be told. And the story is told all the way through it. He gets there. It's weird. He tries to leave. He accepts his fate. Oh, and then the solo at the end and just, oh my God, it's the finest like piece of storytelling with music. Oh, sorry. I just had a moment. <laughs> What's a song that you wish you wrote? Song I wish I wrote. Well, gosh, just mm -hmm. looking back through my vinyl catalog. Oh, there's a song that I've been listening to called Miracles Out of Nowhere from Kansas. They were an American prog band in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Still going mm -hmm. to this day. And mm -hmm. it's a beautiful song with this violin melody. I'm like, this is so beautiful. It helped me through a dark time recently when my autism probably got the better of me on social media, which I'm not proud of. It happens at times, which has caused me many, many crucial moments of social media presence, so... Yeah, just songs like that really helped me through dark times. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Yeah. Indeed. So that's the one where you go, I wish I wrote that one. Yes, that's my wish. That's my wish I wrote that. I wish I wrote that song moment. <laughs> well, um, do you have any questions for me at all whatsoever? Anything at all? This is a ask me anything moment. I couldn't help but notice, Liam, that you are a big fan of big country. I knew this was coming. I couldn't help but notice, right? I just call me call it pigeon's instinct. I couldn't help but notice. What drew you to them and what speaks to you about them? Okay, big country came to me in probably 2017, 2018. I had a relative who's no longer a part of the family. But I still keep in contact with them. But he mm -hmm. had this massive collection of big country CDs, vinyls. He gave me, actually gave me this jumper that I'm wearing now, and also gave me this older also or other one for the journey era of big country. Oh. Their, their music to me was basically when Stuart Anderson died in 2001 by suicide in Hawaii. The lead singer from U2 at his service said. Big Country wrote the songs that you two wish they could. It yeah. really says something about the band, that they had a quality, that they were kind of the underrated one against you two, 
you two were basically like, mm -hmm. what would Big Country be like if they were more commercially successful? If they didn't have mm -hmm. that one-hit wonder status to them attached to them like a ball and chain. So it's just like something about Stuart's writing, something about the representation of Scotland, especially in Steeltown, which was all about the Scottish steelworks closing down and how all the Scottish steelworkers had to migrate down to Corby in England. Yep. It was such it's such an amazing album, and I'd highly recommend listening to it. There's so many good songs. Come back to me where um, the rose is sown. Just oh my god. Great. I love great it album. when a band does that. Yeah. Like they don't have to be commercially successful, although I, I would argue that they are, but they don't have to be like huge, you know, shining stars in the music industry. And yet they still keep going and they still keep changing lives. Like that to me is the sign of an amazing musician. And live, obviously, if a band can play live and they're tight live, that's all you need. If you've seen any live footage at all, of big country, you know that they do their shit seriously. Oh yeah, they take it very seriously. Or, okay, one more question then. I suppose it'll be a follow up question. Have you ever actually been to Scotland? No, and I'm okay. Damned by the end of my life that I at least end up once going. Okay, so, uh, when not if when you do make it to Scotland, what is the first thing? you want to do given all the knowledge you have given um how inspiring it is just like you get off the plane or the train where are you going first what are you doing I'm apart going, from going to sleep i'm going to the barrows i'm going to glasgow barrowlands ballroom it's a pretty iconic the sticky, floor. The sticky floor the barrows ballroom that's what they currently play the, without live without the aid of safety net VHS, they did homecoming 8384 VHS. So many iconic mm -hmm. gigs that got made into home media. I wanted to see what this place looks like because it's so iconic amongst the fan community. Just oh my god, I want to see this for myself. And of course, Dump on the Line, where Stuart was born. I can't wait. Like, see, see when again, not if when you do make it to Scotland, you need I need video footage of your little face when you go in there, just lighting up, just like. Oh, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, they have they have a bench dedicated to him with lyrics put on the bench engraved in gold, and there's a mural mm -hmm. out in the so the football field of Stuart himself in one of the stands mm -hmm. that a bunch of college students did. I don't know how many years ago it was now, but yeah, beautiful gesture. And I think they named a street after him as well. Well, remember as well that when you get here, you still have to do Conic Hill or Arthur's Seat. Mm -hmm. And you have to eat haggis. <laughs> that's that's a requirement. And you have to drink Iron Brew. And you have it. to like it as well. Already All right, good. What it. did you think of it? Absolutely delicious. I always pick it up when I find it. People always try and get me to describe the taste of it, and it's really hard to describe it. You have to have drank it to understand. It's quite difficult to describe. Someone once said it was like tangy bubblegum pop, and I'm like, mm, I no. get it, but no. Someone said it was a, a highly sugar-based Coca-Cola. No. It <laughs> tastes nothing like Coca-Cola. It's like... 
there's because there's two countries in the world where Coca-Cola is not the most consumed beverage. One is Scotland. I don't know what the other one is, but one is Scotland because of Iron Brew. Like we all love it here. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I guess that makes sense, you know. And even I don't know what the I don't know what the other country is. Um, and I don't know what the drink is, but I just know that we are one of them because because of sweet, sweet iron brew. <laughs> sweet, sweet iron brew. Oh, I wish I could have a case here right now and open a cold one right now and drink it on the oh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> do you know do you know the best thing to do, right? When you come to Scotland, again, when, not if, when. Um you get fish and chips, right? You go to a chippy, go to the chippy in Anstruther, because that is like world famous. So you go to the chippy in Anstruther, you get fish and chips. And if you can get a glass bottle, perfect. But if not, a cold can of Iron Brew with fish and chips. Oh, it's the food of the gods. Oh, it is. The... It changes your life. See if you've had a really, really shitty day. Get a chippy, get a can of Iron Brew. Go by the seaside. Actually, no, don't go by the seaside because the seagulls will steal your food. <laughs> go near the seaside, maybe in a car or by a window and just eat it and just and just let the day melt away. That's great. So you have to do that. I know that from experience. Being in Australia, seagulls are fucking bastards. Can can we just talk, right? Can we just can we just, you know, person yeah. to person? Seagulls are the devil they're the yeah. devil they are rats with i'm not even going to say rats with wings because i like rats i think rats are lovely and cute and i love when people have pet rats i always want to come over and say hello to them seagulls are pointless they are pointless they don't do anything they don't contribute anything all they do is steal our fish and then they decided that they weren't going to be seagulls anymore they were going to be everywhere gulls so they don't just steal your fish they steal your sandwiches they steal your stuff from your rubbish bins they steal everything and they eat things they eat rocks they eat pencils they eat each other they they're just pointless and stupid and if someone said to me if a magic man came over and said natalie we have to get rid of one species and let them go extinct what would you seagulls i wouldn't even think about it seagulls fair enough. sorry i just i'm passionate i hate them that's fair enough have you heard of the ibis of the what sorry the bird the ibis i've heard of it yeah the bin chicken why is it called the bin chicken? Because in New South Wales, in Australia, there's a whole abundance of bin chickens that sev- that scavenged on little scraps of things from rubbish bins, and they uh-huh. just feast on them. You know, like it's their food. Oh, they! I think the reason I have a hatred towards seagulls, apart from everything I've just mentioned, is because in my old house they would nest on my roof in the summer, and obviously the relentless squawking noise they make it drives me mad and it's hot in the summer so you want to open your windows at night and then you're up until five in the morning because they're going like all night all night and then if one of their stupid babies falls from the stupid nest because it can't stupid fly and you walk past it they swoop at you and it's just so me sorry i'm going back on my hatred of seagulls (laughs) I think swooping <laughs> seagulls is a problem. Try swooping magpies in the spring and summer in Australia. That's hell. I've heard. I've heard because the magpies here. Maybe I'm just not going to the right places. The magpies here are lovely 
and friendly and nice. They just like shiny things. Are they monsters in Australia? They basically just come in and they go whop when you're riding. A hundred miles an hour. I didn't know that because I. I mean, the magpies are pretty tame here. Maybe maybe someone from Scotland will tell me otherwise, but I've never had an issue with magpies. They just kind of sit in your garden and they like shiny things. But I didn't know that they were so aggressive in Australia. Like, have they always been that way? Do you want to know why? Because we why? think that we're stealing their babies from their trees. Why do they think that? I got no idea. So whenever what we have to do is when we're riding bikes, we have to put cable ties in our helmets so they won't swoop. Oh my god. And what sound does a magpie make? I've got no idea, but I've seen footage online of a little kid on a scooter being hit by one and oh my god, I hope he's alright. I've I've heard that in Australia there are some birds that make the funniest noises, and that's the only reason I was asking, just in case they make a different noise from here. Yeah, but yeah they. I've heard some of your birds make very, very funny noises, and I'm excited to hear them. Oh yes, the kookaburra is a really iconic one, and just depending on where you go in Australia, when I actually picked on the drum kit, there was a whole stack of them just sitting on a tree. Better than seagulls, though, right? Better, better than seagulls. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Agreed. And fin chickens and magpies. <laughs> I mean, then again, coming across as nine out of ten deadliest animals exist here in Australia, that's pretty frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, I, it's a I, think, I think the only thing, and I'm sure everybody says this, but you know, I will admit I am a big wuss, a giant blouse, when it comes to spiders. And I've heard, <laughs> I've heard that spiders, so spider here, like a big spider, is like, you know, maybe Small. maybe about this size. Whereas I've heard in Australia, they're like this size. We had one on our roof of our old house last year. Mm-hmm. And my dad took a photo of it close up. It looked big. Fucking hell. It's a big boy, hairy, fairy uh-huh. ass motherfucker. Yeah, that's the thing, right? My my sister, oh, my hair's caught in my ring. Um, My sister had, before she had um her son, my nephew, she used to collect, collect. <laughs> she had like 10 tarantulas in her house. I'm not even kidding you between eight and 10 tarantulas. And one of them was called a Goliath bird-eating spider. <laughs> I should have borrowed it to eat all the seagulls. And I'm like, well, why is that in your house? And I thought, okay, tarantulas, big fluffy things, they're probably slow and I can deal with that. No, no, they're fast scurrying little things. And she told me this story that I'll never forget. Um, she looked in the, in, the, in the cage box, jar, whatever, one day, and the spider was like like this. All of its legs were up like that. And she was like, oh, oh no, it's dead. So oh. she was kind of upset because she loves she loves, she loves spiders, my sister. Um, and she was really upset. So she opens the thing and she scoops it up and she's like, yep, yeah, it's not moving. And she disposes of the spider and she closes the cage. Two days later, she's she's putting her top on what crawls up and under her skin 
out of this top. But the spider, so what it had done was it had shed its skin. And the shed looked just like the dead, like the spider that was dead. So when she opened it to get rid of the dead spider, the spider in question, the imposter, the alive spider, escaped and then just came crawling out of her jaw. Oh, God. Oh, oh. it gives me the. Oh, thinking about it makes me itch. I hate it. Okay, you wouldn't like the Doctor Who story planned. The spider's the dead doctor's last story is a massive spider on planet Mabellius 3 that's like it's CGI in obviously but it's fucking huge yeah I'll just stick with the ouds I like the ouds because <laughs> they're nice and they I mean it's a shame what happened to the ouds but they have their brains in their hands and they sing beautiful music I will take an oud over that giant spider any day of the week hmm provided you it's also classic as well so anything else yeah I would even take a Suntaran other than that big spider Maybe not a weeping angel, though. <laughs> True. I wouldn't want to take a weeping angel either. Mm. I can't remember. What's the rules? Is it if you blink or is it if you just turn away from them? It's any like you don't sign have to blink. of if you turn away, you blink, turning away, they'll move. Oh. <laughs> did you just get a chill down your back? Because I did. <laughs> no. Um, I don't think I did. Oh. But oh, on, the, on the topic of Doctor Who, on this very season, I've actually interviewed someone from Doctor Who. Have you really? Who is it? Sophie Aldred from the seventh, from seventh Doctor season who played Ace McShane. The oh, only companion. She? Oh, she's fantastic. The only companion in history to live, literally beat the living shit out of the Dalek. Nice. Yes. I will stand by that fact until I'm proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And she smacked uh, the shit out of that Dalek. Yeah, she was great. She told me a lot about her time and all the fun stuff she did on the show. So yeah, it's great getting the insider knowledge after all these years admiring her character. Oh, yeah. And uh for her listening, Ace was my first ever hoop crush. <laughs> so I never told her that, but now the now now the world knows. And now, now they know. No, they now know. you know. Now you know. Oh. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. Sorry we went off on another tangent. <laughs> but that's fun. You know, that's fun. What's on for your day? Um, I've got a bunch of videos to film and I've got writing to finish and I've got a couple of emails to get back to. But yeah, busy, busy, busy day for me. And it's just as well that it's a work from home day because it's horrible outside. What about you? Uh, I just, like I said, came home from work. I'll probably be watching The Simpsons, <laughs> no doubt, when I get back in the other room. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe play some records with my headphones on. I didn't mm -hmm. show you this, but I have marine material. Fish, I know, is a very iconic singer from Scotland. Basically mm -hmm. a copy of Peter Gabriel from Genesis, very madman type of style with costumes and face paint and everything so if there's anyone in the family who's heard of Marilla let me say fucking thank you those guys are oh, awesome oh absolutely I think, then, did you say did you say Marillion? yes Marillion. yes oh here's a fun story for you my sister was named after guess the song Kaylee yep 
Kaylee, if it's too late to say I'm sorry. And Kaylee, can we get it together again? Oh, that's such a brilliant song. But yeah, that, I'm sure there are a lot of Kayleys in the world that were named after that song. Yeah, it's the habit to meme. Obviously, the parents have it to meme. are really fans. That's probably the main reason why. Because uh, mm -hmm. where I am in Australia, it's fucking underground. Like, it's like an, almost like a secret society. <laughs> Do you guys like Marillion? Shh, shh. Don't tell them. It's 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 a secret. Put your Genesis records away. Put them away. Genesis they'll accept because obviously Phil Collins. But Marillion, yeah. no. Nah. King Crimson, no. Nah. Rush, no. Nah. Jethro Tull, Rush, joking. Rush are like the. Oh, I love Rush. We're going to go off on another tangent if we keep doing this. So I'll just end it there. I love Rush. I love Rush. No, I love Dream Theater as well. No, I want to talk about Rush because I have a massive obsession with Rush. Sorry, but you've oh, been me born too. In... And Dream Theater. I love you Rush be... and I love Dream Theater. You've been born into this and you're not going anywhere. <laughs> yes, I, I love Rush. Um, But yeah. The, you don't you don't really hear a lot of people who like Rush uh, nowadays or Dream Theater. Some people don't know who Dream Theater are, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I know Dream Theater yeah. did for the 40th anniversary box set for Farewell the Kings, they did a cover of Xanadu. Oh, yes, yes, yes. They they are like just the bet one of the best prog metal bands I've ever heard because they, they're so superior in their instruments and you kind of have to be with that genre. But I keep saying it, but they're like, let's have a 20-minute solo in this song just because we can. Mm, or, or you nail Perth and halfway through YYZ you bring out a solo. Oh yeah, instead because you, you start with like the and then if that wasn't like amazing enough, they're like, Do you know what? We're not finished. <laughs> Neil just comes out start, starting the rhythm method as it is named tightly. Um yeah. Other than that, Rush is also underground here, but thankfully, I know the group, they know me, so yeah. Incredible. So, uh, what what are your closing statements for today's podcast? Well, obviously you've <laughs> told me a lot about Scotland, your music, we've handed on a lot of things, which is really fun. You can find the podcast on Anchor FM, you'll find the show on 94.7 The Pulse, snippets of the show will be played live alongside my program, Grooves on the Record, every Wednesday night on 6pm. Tune in for that, if you will. And uh, the video, obviously, this interview will be on YouTube under the Blue, Blue Bells of England. So i find the icon of me with the part Aussie part Scotland flag with the big country icons, and that is the Blue Bells of England. We did it. We did it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Have a blessed day. And uh, I thank you for having me. You're welcome. My pleasure. See ya.